God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. Greeting, friends and family of God. Great to have you back with us. If you listened to my last podcast, which many of you did, in fact, it was our most listened to podcast to date. Thank you very much for that. Along with being a tribute to my friend Daniel, it covered the topic of a Christian losing a loved one unexpectedly. Well, God will not let me leave it there, so I'm doing one more related to this topic. And today's episode is called Surviving and Growing from the Loss of a Loved One, episode 10.5. Some Christians believe that it is a sin, or at least ungodly, to have negative emotions such as depression, anger, fear, doubt, etc. And most of the time, they believe this until they go through the same type of situation. They use passages or statements like, be anxious for nothing, lean not onto your own understanding, or if you really believe God is in control, then why would you get depressed, and so on. The truth of the matter is, even Jesus was in despair and agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's in Luke 22, 39-44. It says he was so anxious that he was sweating drops of blood. That is a dangerous condition known as hematidrosis, the effusion of blood in one's perspiration. You perspire blood. It can be caused by acute fear and extreme stress. Christ himself stated that his distress in this situation had brought him to the point of death in Matthew twenty six thirty eight and Mark fourteen thirty four. So it appears from this that even the strongest of Christians are able to experience the strongest of emotions, even those we would deem negative emotions. It's what helped Jesus get through this. I will return to this question in a moment. If you remember my last episode, I took you back to the Garden of Eden and talked about how Satan made Eve look at what God said to her and Adam from a self-centered worldview by playing on her emotions. I want you to grasp from this that emotions are a sign of free will. They're given as a gift. They're a sign of free will. You're not a robot. No human or spiritual being is. God gave both his heavenly family and his earthly family free will. Imagine being drugged to your wedding, kicking and screaming that you had no choice. Without free will, there is no true love. What we learn as Christians is how to redirect those emotions so that they help us grow as maturing Christians. Satan and his angels chose to try and please themselves by acting on their wants and desires and rebelled against God's will. Then the sly serpent convinced Adam and Eve to do the same. If you remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert by Satan, Satan tried to get Jesus to do the same there also. What helped Jesus, or the answer to the question, what helped Jesus stay focused and to do God's will is he kept his priorities straight when being tempted. He used the word of God as an answer. And when in distress in the garden, he kept focusing on the will and plan of God. Thy will be done. I would contend that one of the greatest battles, if not the greatest, to be won by a Christian is to win control over your emotions. What do I mean by that? Controlling your emotions does not mean you do not experience emotions. That would be an imager-like. Remember, in the past episode, we are God's image bearers. And like God, our creator, we also experience emotions. What emotions does God experience, you say? The word says, for one, God loves us. That's their biggest 
message or passage in John 3.16, God so loved the world. And there's so many more that talk about God's love for humans. And it also says that he is a jealous God in Deuteronomy 4.24. It says that he has anger in Psalm 7.11. It says he is grieved and was sorry he made man in Genesis 6.6. And he regretted making Saul king in 1 Samuel 15.11. These are just to name a few emotions. The battle is what your emotions lead you to do. Do you rebel against God, turning to a self-centered worldview and life? Or do you make adjustments, keep your godly worldview, and have a mature godly reaction, which would be, not my will, but yours be done? That is my definition of controlling your emotions, making sure any emotional responses are channeled into a growing experience so that they lead you closer to God and accomplishing His will in your life. Now, controlling your emotions should bring glory to God. You refuse to let the emotion make you sin. You take it to God like Jesus did, and then you gain control over it. When Jesus was tempted, he quoted Scripture and regained the godly worldview. Listen to what I said. You You take it to God. Do not wait for God to come to you. Acknowledge the trouble you are having. Bring it to the altar of God in prayer, and then continue to live for God. Think of those times when you are so troubled that you just cry out to the Lord. You may even weep and fall to your knees. In this sense, the emotions led you to God, led to a deeper longing for relief from God. Psalms has plenty of examples of expressed emotion in those seeking God's intervention into their lives. In these cases, deep emotional feelings served a purpose to bring the individual to God. Now, imagine not having emotions. We'd probably never call on God. So the emotions are there for a purpose. In the case of losing a loved one, it can be more difficult to understand and deal with strong negative emotions. Through no fault of your own, you have been thrown into the most stressful situation a human can find themselves outside their own death sentence, say a terminal diagnosis, or going to the cross. Our level of grief usually depends on our closeness and dependency level to the deceased. What compounds our grief are the daily reminders around the house. Your maturity level as a Christian is also a significant factor. We usually do not have a full comprehension of what our maturity level is until the situation occurs, right? Then we find out who we are as a Christian. Young Christians will more than likely show a broader and more intense range of emotions uh, of those who are a little more immature in Christ. Those who are well-grounded in Christ or more mature will also show emotion, but normally not as dramatic or wide-ranging. Of course, there are many other variables that can affect this theory. Things that come into play include your financial burden they left us with, the living situation, health of the survivor, supporting support systems available, and the person's, the survivor's own self-esteem or level of self-esteem, etc. If you rely on your humanness, you will struggle with human emotions, the hurt, the pain, the anger, the depression, the anxiety, and so on. Yes, we all have these emotions sometimes, but this is part of what Paul was talking about when he said to take your thoughts captive. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Letting human emotions rule your mind and body will cause you to lose focus, have a secular worldview, and cause you to question everything you believe in the Spirit. You must consciously choose to see all circumstances from a godly worldview. God gave us a great example besides Jesus, and the Bible that cover loss and how to deal with it. The story of Job is mind-boggling if you think about it. 
Job's story involves physical loss of all Job's children as well as all his possessions. It was said that Job was the greatest of all the men of the East. The Bible says that he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Imagine that. We know he was. We try to be. And still these things happen to him. After an accuser, that is what the word Satan means, in God's heavenly court, proposed that Job would curse God to his face if he took away his favor from Job. God took the challenge and allowed the Satan to take everything from Job except his life. In one day, apparently all at the same time, just in different situations, Job lost all seven sons, all three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and many servants. All the reports of loss came in one after the other without stop. Wow, talk about a 180-degree turn of events. I would like to bring to your attention to the end of the first chapter of Job, what Job's prevailing attitude was when all this started happening. I believe it is what set the stage for his survival through it all. In verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped. Verse 21, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Amazing. In chapter 2, it continues when he responded to his wife, who just told him to give up and curse God. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. That was verse 10. There's a list of physical ailments that happened to Job on top of losing his family. Too many to mention here. About 17 different things. All of them combined to make recognizing him very difficult. He was terrible looking at the time because of everything that happened to him. Of course, all the things that happened to him made him question God. For he did not understand what was happening. He knew he was not sinning at the time. It is easy to see that Job probably experienced all the emotions a human could and more than likely at a level few of us ever have or will have. He cried out to God and received no justice at the, at the time. Job's friends tried to convince Job that he was being punished because Job had sinned and in doing so, they were flattering God, trying to make God look good. This came to light when In the end, God acknowledged that he was displeased with Job's friends and required a sacrifice for their forgiveness. When God finally did talk to Job, probably not until chapter 38, I think it was, he never told Job about the reason for his pain. They were giving him that pain and suffering or the interaction uh, about him between God and Satan. No explanation was ever given. Twice God told Job to gird up his loins and and like a man, like stand up and act like a man or be tough, you know. Then he asked Job if he was an eternal, great, powerful, wise, and perfect as God. And if not, Job should just have been better off to be quiet and trust him. When eventually, or we eventually find out in the last chapter of Job 42, that God restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Twofold. 
The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had double the sheep, double the camels, double the yoke of oxen, and double the female donkeys. He didn't double his kids. He had seven more sons replace the seventy lost, and three more daughters replace the three lost. But he did live another hundred and forty years or so and was able to experience joy with his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. What can we learn from the Job experience? When Job lost all he had, including his health, he did not curse God, but he cursed the day he was born. He complained, he questioned, and he challenged God's wisdom and justice. After God set him straight, all he could do was repent for his insolence. Even without answers to all the why questions, still sick and diseased, and without his children and possessions, all he could do was to bow in submission to the God that created everything, the God that knows all, the God that plans all, and will bring all his plans and, and will to fruition. Only God is sovereign. The silver lining of the story is that the accuser, Satan, was wrong, and God was right about Job's faith. He never lost his faith in God, but Job was wrong in the charges he had raised against God. In the end, Job was sorry he had not just accepted God's will without complaining. The truth is, outside of what our Creator chooses to bless us with, we deserve nothing. So now you need to ask yourself, did the individual that you lost leave you with a deeper relationship with God, a deeper faith, or does it prevent you from getting closer to Him? Do you question everything that God allowed to happen because it is not the way you wanted it to go? Do you think you can offer advice to God about what happened? Are you standing in defiance of God because you think he is mean? If so, remember this about the story. Only after Job humbled himself and acknowledged he was wrong to question God at all did healing come. He had to repent in the broken state he was in, having lost 10 children, all his possessions, and many servants, and his physical health. Let this story move you closer to God by putting his will as a top priority in your life. Not your spouse's, not your children's, and most certainly not yours. You are in the family of God. Act like it. He alone is Abba Father. Now, I want to offer you some advice on how to move on. I want to talk about the three things that a Christian should have that will keep in check most strong negative emotions and allow you to focus on God and grow in God. And then I'm going to give you some practical things to do. Are these these three the first three things are faith, hope, and love. Faith is at the very heart of the gospel. It is the vehicle by which we are enabled to receive the grace of God. Don't lose it. In the Old Testament the word for faith conveys the idea of of faith with several verb forms. Most significantly, it means to consider as established, regard as true, or believe. It implies a fastening of the heart upon the divine word of promise, a leaning upon the power and faithfulness of God. It is not so much intellectual belief as much as it suggests trust in a committing of oneself. Must have that type of faith. In the New Testament, Greek, faith means to believe what someone says, to accept the statement is true, like when Jesus asked individuals if they believed that they could be healed. That meaning is manifested in the passage, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's in Hebrews 11.6. 
It is also a believing that. You believe that it can be done. A believing that. The second meaning in the New Testament hinges on believing in someone or something. In John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Thus, to believe on or in the name of Jesus was to place one's trust in him. The second one, hope, is to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. Hope produces endurance, 1 Thessalonians 1.3. Gabriel Marcel defined hope as the memory of the future. In that sense, hope is that vision of the future that sees the hand of God in continued guidance and protection. His continued guidance and protection on each of our lives. Only when the memory of God in the past, the historical things he has done, and the memory of God in the future are operative in the life of the believer, can love be an active reality in the present? So that moves us to love. Love is the greatest of them all and the only one that will not fade away when all is done. It is the essence of God. The word says God is love. It's the very reason he created his families in the spiritual and physical world so that he could share in that love. He gave us free will to go with that. In Mark 12, 30 through 31, Jesus said the greatest commandments are to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So you are to love God first, then your neighbors, not just your family. Loving and serving others outside your family sets the example to your family. When you love God and and fellow humans, then you can grow and become the Christian God wants you to develop into. And that is, there's a healing nature in that serving of others too. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. These three, faith, hope, and love, work together to make us active, hard-working believers able to endure the struggles of living in a fallen world because the higher agenda of God and his kingdom are central to his purpose on earth. Now, here is some practical or here is some practical advice I can offer you right now to help you through your grief. The most important thing you can do for yourself and for the loved ones relying on you is to take care of yourself. Things you can do to expedite your recovery are number 1 Take control of your time. Happy people feel in control of their lives. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Without a vision, people perish or cast off restraint. Make a vision for your new life and circumstances, even if it is only for the near short-term future until more clarity from God and your life is obtained. Number two, act happy. Remember our teachings in previous episodes about cognitive dissonance, the power of beliefs, and renewing your mind? You not only can change your behavior and emotions by thinking differently, but you, uh, changing, or changing how you feel can be initiated by your behavior. Your thoughts must be congruent with your emotions or we experience a stressful state known as cognitive dissonance. So acting out your happiness can lead to you feeling happy. I say in my music therapy sessions at the end of each episode, if you're feeling good, you can't feel bad. Now, that's the same concept. Going through the motions can trigger the emotions. Act out how you want to feel. The feelings will follow. Number three, 
Seek work and leisure that engage your skills. God has given everyone a particular skill or talent. When you're operating in those gifts or talents, then you feel the best. That is where the saying, do what you love and you will not work a day in your life, comes from. Also, for hobbies, there are things almost everyone benefits from due to the health effects they offer. These include gardening, hikes in Mother Nature, socializing with good friends, or even craft work. Number four. Exercise, or at least move. Exercise can bring relief to mild depression and anxiety and promotes health and energy. The better you feel about your body and weight, the higher your self-esteem. Number five, listen to your body's need for sleep. Mentally and physically healthy people make the time for renewing sleep and solitude. Many people going through the grieving process are deprived of good quality sleep, resulting in fatigue, diminished alertness, and gloomy moods. These conditions can all lead to making poor decisions. Staying in bed all the time uh, is likely depression, so don't do that either. Number six, give priority to close relationships. Those who care deeply about you can you uh, can help you weather difficult times. God made us to support one another, lifting each other up with the good news, the good news of the word. Confession is good for the body, soul, and spirit. Number seven, focus beyond yourself. Reach out to others who are in need. Happiness increases helpfulness. In other words, those who feel good will do good. But doing good also makes one feel good. Help someone even when you do not feel like it. I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like getting up today. You got to do it when you don't feel like it. That is also the behavior before the belief. If you do it, then the belief will come. The, the emotions will come. The feeling, the cognitive. Number eight, count your blessings. Write down how you have been blessed each day or just any positive events. It will heighten your well-being. And lastly, number nine, nurture your spiritual self. Negative emotions have a tendency to get you to focus on yourself, to get you to feel sorry for yourself, to get you to use a self-centered worldview. Reach out to your church, home fellowship leader, or plug yourself into a small group. There is healing in numbers. Do not forget to pray and praise. Praise that includes your body, like raising your hands, moving, moving your feet, swaying back and forth. Praise, and when you move your body, it's, it's behavior that produces the good feelings for life. You must do that. Now, remember, what we do matters. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlo at godslovelanguage.com. All right, time for a little music therapy. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. Guide us, Father, those who are suffering and grieving. Father, help build them, make them strong. We know that everything you put us through will help us grow if we take it right. Help us to grow. Yes. 
Bless you, Lord. Move them hands. Sway it back and forth. Stick them up. Back and forth. Back and forth. Let them like you're waving to the crowd with both hands. Yes, Lord. Move those feet. Got to move. Lift your head up. Lift your head up. They want you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. You can be happy in Him. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you for the music, Lord. Remember, if you're feeling good, you can't feel bad. you Lord we magnify you realize you are God there is none like you mighty God thank you Jesus for your sacrifice on the cross help us to be more like you in all that we do in our daily lives come Holy Spirit take up residence in our lives in our homes thank you Lord hallelujah yes Lift your hands up as long as you're not holding hot coffee. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. Thank you, Lord. You're wonderful. I praise you. Ah, yes. Thank you, God. Thank you. We give you all the glory. All the glory. Move it. Thank you. Tell him how much you love him. Repent if you need to. Bless you, Lord. Take care of everyone that's listening. Bless their lives. Make them mighty Christians. Mighty men and women of God. God, you're so good. Thank you.